The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 20. Washington, D.C. America is under attack, President Brighton spoke from the podium of the White House press room. Secret Service personnel surrounded her, glancing uneasily at the reporters and the flashing cameras. Eight airlines have been successfully hijacked. Six have been flown into population centers like malls and stadiums, killing hundreds to thousands of innocent Americans. One has been flown into the Supreme Court, killing two of our Supreme Court justices and injuring another. The passengers of the eighth airliner subdued the terrorists, and that plane has been safely guided into a nearby airport. Attempts to rescue survivors are ongoing, and we are putting every spare man and woman we have into those rescue efforts. Today's tragedies may very well be a concerted effort on the part of domestic terrorists cooperating with foreign enemies of America to unleash death and devastation upon our country. Intolerant religious extremists who practice hate in the name of their inflexible deity have executed every act of terrorism against innocent civilians around the world. Some of them make the bombs, some of them hijack the planes, some of them detonate the bombs or fly the planes into crowds of American citizens, but most of them are far less noticeable and far too often tolerated in the name of free speech. Most of those responsible for such acts of terror simply foster an environment of violence and intolerance that inevitably leads to such attacks. Their hate speech and venomous antagonism to religious pluralism are the seeds that inevitably cause terror and bloodshed. In our country, they hide behind the First Amendment, yet are most adamant against true democracy and the spirit of the Constitution. We must realize that the root of terrorism is intolerance. Cutting it off at the stalk is not enough, she said as she sliced her hand horizontally through the air. We've got to pull it up by the roots. Her audience nodded as she spoke. There has been much political opposition to the common-sense executive orders I have issued. These laws were designed to crack down on the hateful ideology of the religious extremists and terrorists. Many local community leaders and religious leaders have had the audacity to boast that they intend to disobey the federal laws designed to protect us from terrorism. These extremists harbor a view of the world that their faith must reign supreme, subjecting all other faiths and even government rules and regulations into their stiff mold. They pervert the diverse rainbow of God's world to try and make it black and white. They believe that they have a corner on absolute truth to the exclusion of every other alternative view. If we are to be protected from terrorism, the ideology of these absolutists must be defeated. What we need to embrace, America, is a God that is not exhausted by just one faith. We need to embrace those priests and sheikhs, pastors and bishops, rabbis and humanists who have reinterpreted their faith in a way that embraces modernity without weakening religious passion and in a way that affirms that God speaks multiple languages. The future of our democracy may depend on whether we can comprehend that God speaks Arabic on Fridays, Hebrew on Saturdays, and Latin on Sundays. The tension in the room was relieved with the president's call for religious unity. Normally, talk of God behind a politician's podium made the liberals angry, but they were especially comfortable with Margaret Brighton's religious instruction at this time of American tragedy. We must all welcome and accept each other. Our different traditions, languages, and cultures are complementary. Like the harmony demonstrated in the colors of the rainbow or in the notes of a choir, we need to celebrate our diversity, for we are better together, and, she paused to stare into the camera with the red light affixed to the top, we are less apart. The most crucial war that America has at the present time, the conflict with the most at stake, is the conflict we have with those religious extremists who would divide us, whatever their color or denomination, whether domestic or foreign. Our division is a malady more lethal than the acts of terror themselves. If left unremedied, our disunity may destroy our democratic way of life. 
In the past, we have historically pulled ourselves together in a patriotic show of unity when we have faced such tragedies, but never has a nation survived which has crumbled from within. We must, she said, clenching her fist, pull together. This division and partisan squabbling must come to an end. Unity is the weapon that will secure victory against our enemies. For the sake of liberty, for the sake of our posterity, and for the sake of democracy, we must unite. In defiance of the religious extremists who seek to advance their own agenda by suppressing all contrary agendas cruelly and cowardly inflicted on good people, we must unite. She squeezed her wiry fingers into a white-knuckled fist and thrust it into the air. It is time for you, my fellow Americans, to step up to the plate. It is time for the United States of America to join every other civilized society in the world in getting weapons of violence and terror off our streets and out of our schools. We need the aid of all Americans in notifying the proper authorities if you are aware of any non-compliance among your acquaintances. If any of you, my fellow Americans, know of citizens in your communities who are evading justice, conspiring against your government, or planning to keep their illegal firearms past the deadline for turning them in, there is financial compensation for you if you will help the authorities bring them to justice, and you may remain anonymous in the process. I am implementing many other strategies with the help of Congress to better control the violent elements in our society and to crack down on terrorists and potential terrorists. The North American card is one such strategy. She held up a plastic card with the American flag on the front. If the North American Identity Act passes Congress, this card will be a prerequisite to all financial transactions within all 50 of these United States. This comment stirred up some whispering among those who packed the room. This card will serve as your nationwide ID and driver's license, an ATM card for your bank, and credit card for your credit card company. All your medical records will be accessible on this card. All your insurance information, even the last time the oil in your car was changed. All of this and more will be electronically imprinted in this card. Those on Medicaid or Medicare will receive a 3% increase in available credit when they use the card. And with this single card, they will be able to access their accounts, pay their medical bills, and buy their groceries. Canada and Mexico are embarking on this adventure with us as a single North American card identification for our nations will help secure our borders and facilitate safe communication between our immigration agencies. If you want to stop crime at our borders, she said, holding up the card again and shaking it in the air, this is how. This crime control and terrorist fighting measure is just one of the many steps my administration is taking to increase the peace and security of our country. We are experimenting with technology that will place the data in the card into a microchip that can be implanted in the back of your hand. Cards and cash can be stolen, but a chip in the back of your hand is criminal proof. We have been experimenting with this technology in soldiers and animals for decades, and it's time for the fearmongers in Congress who have impeded the progress of this crime-stopping and terrorist-catching technology at every turn to come to their senses and... A Secret Service agent frantically burst onto the platform and whispered something into the president's ear. She had a stunned look on her lean face that frightened all onlookers. A second Secret Service agent approached the president from behind and grabbed her left arm as the agent whispering into her ear grabbed her right arm. They carefully began to escort her out of the room. They led her off the podium as the media called out to her. Madam President, is everything all right? Madam President! President Brighton pushed the Secret Service agents away to try to make a closing comment to those gathered before her. Madam President, we must leave now, one of the Secret Service agents insisted loudly. She nodded and walked out with them. Cameron Weaver, who stood behind the President during the entire speech, walked to the podium and hurriedly addressed the crowd. We have just discovered that a ninth airliner has gone missing and has been spotted in this vicinity. We are asking everyone to quietly exit the building out the rear. Calmly, please. How was this missed? someone asked. The hijacker was one of the pilots. Only half of the people were out of the room when the first explosion was heard. It sounded like it was right on top of the White House. The air seemed to thump against their eardrums, causing many of them to hold their ears and a few to scream as if they expected the roof to collapse on top of them. Weaver sprinted out the rear door of the press room. The media personnel trampled each other in their rush for the exits. 
A second explosion a moment later shook the ground beneath their feet and brought screams of terror from many in the room. They ran out of the White House press briefing room and flooded into the street to see the National Mall in a huge ball of flames. Tongues of red and yellow flames devoured trees and licked the brick black on buildings adjacent to the field as chunks of the fuel-filled airliner were strewn across the National Mall. It had been shot down a half mile away by two fighter jets from Bowling Air Force Base. It fell just short of its target, the White House, and sprayed fiery debris all over downtown D.C. Josh Davis glanced at his watch. He'd been awake at his keyboard for 24 hours straight. As he wrote his magnum opus, the greatest literary piece of his life, he kept having to amend it. Urgent news bulletins of new terrorist attacks kept popping up on his monitor as he worked. Then he heard the president's press conference, and he gained more ammunition for his article. When the terrorist attacks had been silent for 24 hours, he began to flood the online newspapers, conservative news groups, bulletin boards, and blogs to disseminate his article. He predicted that many would suspect the article to be fraudulent, and so he placed his website address on the article where the details of the article could be authenticated. Thank you for listening to this reading from The Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020 and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's docjohnstonnovels.com. O Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.